so today uh, we're going to start a brand new series, and I've never done this before. So uh, actually, um, Pastor Nathan is the one that told me about this. I've always started a series. I, I think in series. I, I preach in series. It just it works out better for me that way. And so I've always started a series and ended on Easter as the as the the main message. You end on that one. And this time, I want to start a series on Easter. So we're starting a brand new series today. It's called From Exodus to Easter. And and my goal to in this series, and we're going to spend the next three or four weeks talking about this. But my goal is really to to look at the whole story of Easter, not just the death, burial, and resurrection. That's part of it. But then then what's after that? You know, like the disciples, the people had, there was life after the resurrection. So we want to talk about the whole story of Easter, but, but we also want to tie that back into the Old Testament. One of the things I want to encourage everybody always in church is you've got to get into the Word of God. Like you need to read God's Word. You need to know God's Word. Um, because I and anybody else that gets on this stage, we can make mistakes. We can mess it up, but God's word doesn't make mistakes. And so you need to know God's word. And, and so I encourage everybody to read the Bible and know God's word. And, and, and so one of the things I like to do is I like to help people tie the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? If you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll know there are some parts of the Old Testament that are very difficult to get through. Am I right, Doug? Yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tough stuff in the Old Testament and in the whole, you know, you can't wear cotton and linen and wool and, and don't eat bacon. And, and I know a lot of you guys right off the bat, you're like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore when I said that. But, but there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that we struggle with. But listen, the Old Testament really is a, the, the Bible says it's a, it's a shadow, it's a, it's a, a, a symbol of what's going to happen in the New Testament. And so if you don't have both, you're missing out. And so we want to have both. And so today that's what we're going to, we're going to go through. And so um, we're going to be talking about the book of Exodus. And, and here's what the book of Exodus is all about. For 430 years, the Israelites, the Hebrews, have been living. Uh, well, I sound very echoey right now. I don't know if that's normal or not. I don't hear myself that often, but something sounds weird. Um, so, so for 430 years, the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, have been living in Egypt so they haven't been in their homeland, they've been in Egypt, and for the past few years, we're not exactly sure exactly how many it was, but they were slaves in Egypt. They were, they were persecuted, they were slaves in Egypt under state rule. They, they weren't, um, they weren't uh, owned by individual families necessarily, they were owned by the government. The, the government is the one that, that oppressed them and they were slaves in Egypt for a number of years. And, and so the Bible says that God wanted to set his people free. He wanted to take them out of Egypt and take them to what God calls a promised land, which is what is nowadays Israel, right? And so God's wanting to take them from Egypt into the promised land. And so he uses a guy named Moses to be his mouthpiece. Moses is going to be the leader. Moses is going to get them out of slavery. Well, as the story goes, the king of Egypt named Pharaoh, Pharaoh did not want to let all of his slaves go. This is working force. Makes sense. He doesn't want to let them go. And so Pharaoh does not allow him to leave. And so the Bible says that God begins to send down plagues onto the land. And it's, it's interesting, and it's another study for another time, but each of the plagues that God sends, if you've ever heard of the story of the ten plagues, each of the plagues that God sends um, can be directly attributed to one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And it's kind of a cool story to me how God was basically fighting other gods, right? Like he's proving himself against all these false gods. And, and so, so we've got all the ten plagues are happening. And each time a plague happens, Pharaoh hardens his heart even more and hardens his heart even more. And, and it's very similar to what we see today where so many people are hardened against 
the gospel and they're hardened against Christ. And, and, and I don't know if you know this, but, but there's a lot of persecution going on around the world. And, and a lot of it goes back to Christianity. People just, I mean, we've got people in, in Iran. We get stories from the Middle East of, of Christians being persecuted left and right. And there's a hardening of the heart towards the gospel. And so anyways, so Pharaoh's hardened his heart. God goes through nine plagues. And now we're at the tenth plague. And at the tenth plague, it's the last plague. And, and after this plague, the Israelites are going to be let go. God knows it. Moses knows it. Pharaoh doesn't quite know it yet because his heart's kind of hard. But he's about, to, he's about to find out. The tenth plague is a terrible plague. It's the worst one of all of them. Up until this point, we've seen flies and we've seen frogs and we've seen darkness. All things you can live through. All things that, that can get you by. The water turns to blood. So it just kind of stinks really bad. And you can't really drink it. But, but it's all things that you can survive. But now we get to the worst plague. And the very worst plague is the last one. And the last one is this. The Bible says that God said, I'm going to send an angel, and he's going to go through the land. And he is going to kill the firstborn in every household. Not only will he kill the firstborn in, uh, of the humans, he'll even kill the firstborn of the animals. Like it, there, there's, there's no deciphering between the two that, that the firstborn is going to die. This is going to be the payment. This is the last judgment on, on Egypt. And God says, once I judge Egypt like this, Pharaoh is going to let you go. He's going to let you go. And, and some of us that have read the story before, you, you know, we'll continue talking about this later on in this series. But, but even, that, even that plague, although Pharaoh lets him go, the Bible says that he still ends up chasing after him. Like he's just, he's just that crazy and that maniacal. And so, so we get to this point where God says, okay, here's the last plague. This is what's going to happen. But then God begins to give some commandments to Israel on how to avoid this last judgment. See, here's the thing about the judgment of God. The judgment of God wasn't just for Egypt. It was for anybody living in the land. Egyptians or Israelites didn't matter. And so God had a plan to save the Israelites from having to, to face this final judgment. And so here's what it, here's what it sounds like. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 13 verses with you. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read 13, 1 through 13. And I'm going to talk about some of those verses for a little bit, and then we're going to tie it into Easter. So we're going to start with Exodus, we'll end with Easter. So Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be a first month of the year for you. I'm going to stop right there for a second. I think this is really cool. This is a new beginning. God says, listen, we're going to start the calendar all over again. We're going to start it all over again. And we're not starting it based on the moon. We're not starting it based on the sun. We're not starting it based on the harvest. I'm starting a brand new calendar for you based on your freedom. Isn't that a cool thought? That for 430 years, we've been stuck in this land for 430 years, uh, or for at least generations of that time frame, we've been in slavery, and, and, and these people are not being bought as slaves, they're being born into slavery. Very different, and if, if your whole mindset is, I'm a slave from the time I'm a baby until the time I'm old, my mindset is I'm a slave, it's a very different concept. And these guys are being bo uh, born into slavery for, for generations, they've been born into slavery, and now God says we're going to start the clock all over again. How many of you would love for God to start the clock all over again? Amen. Like there, there's a lot of times I, I, I love to I love to exercise and, and do stuff. And, and now my son, um, my oldest son does does stuff with me. And, and I look at his 17 year old self and how much energy he has. And I just think, oh, God, if I could just 
If you could just start my clock over, just, just give me 10 more years, like, like 10 less years on the clock, please, just anything, so I can move like that kid moves, like that is so nice, um, but instead, I get out of bed, and I'm hurt, right, like I, I roll out of the bed, and I'm like this, you know, it's, it's just ha- what happens when you get older, and so that clock is starting anew, it's a really cool thing. Verse 3 says this, uh, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb. Everybody say lamb. We're going to be interactive a little bit today. Um, choose a lamb or a young goat. Don't say that. Uh, for a sacrifice. Now notice this. Choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If a family's too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. So the Bible here, we're not going to focus on how much they can eat. That's a whole other story. But, but I want to look at this real quick. The lamb was used as a sacrifice or a substitute. Because here's the thing. Somebody's going to die in the land. When the angel comes, when judgment comes, somebody's going to die. Either I can choose who dies or God can choose who dies. I want to choose who dies. I'd rather sacrifice a lamb. I'd rather sacrifice a lamb than sacrifice my kid. And so, so the Israelites are told, I want everybody to go grab a lamb. Go grab a lamb or a young goat, and you bring this lamb into your house, right? Uh, you're going to bring this ho- lamb into your house. You're going to sacrifice it. You're going you're to end up killing this lamb. And so, so we just need to understand today the concept of the lamb is a sacrifice. The lamb is a substitute, right? Now, if you're not the firstborn son of your house, or you're not the firstborn of your house, then you're not really sweating this. I'm the baby of my family. It would have been totally cool with me. Like, one less brother, right? No. Um, that's terrible. My brother, I hope he's not listening today. Um, if you are, Michael, I love you so much. Uh, but, but here's the thing. It, it, there was a sacrifice and a substitute that had to be made, and it must have been a lamb. Verse 5. We'll keep going. Verse 5. The animal you select must be one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. That takes special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. A couple of things I want to point out. Number one, the lamb must be without spots or blemishes or defects, right? Like, like the lamb has to be pure. What does that mean? That represents being sinless. That, that, that whenever we bring God a sacrifice, it's got to be the best. Anybody is willing to sacrifice a lamb with three legs, right? Any of you ever had a pet with three legs? We had a pet one time. We had a dog, and, and his leg got trapped in something, and his toes all got cut off, and, and he just had a nub back there on the back. And, and we named him Nubby. No, we didn't name him Nubby. But he ran around, and he'd just pick up that one leg, and he could run on three legs faster than most dogs could run on four. I mean, this guy was amazing. And so, so it's easy to sacrifice an animal that you don't like, Right? It's easy to give up something that you don't care anything about. It's easy to give up something that's broken. And God says, I don't want your broken. I want your best. I want your very best. So you find the lamb that's great, that's perfect, um, because that's what I want. Another thing I want you to notice today, and we've got some kids in the room, and so you parents will understand this, but they brought the lamb in from the 10th day to the 14th day. Can you imagine what would happen in your house if you brought in a baby goat or sheep, a lamb or a kid, and you brought it into your house for four days, what's going to happen? You're going to name that thing. You're going to love that thing. 
your, your kid is going to call that thing squishy and, you know, my fluffy, and they're going to pet it, and they're going to hold it, and they're going to sleep with it, only to kill it in four days. That's terrible. If you're a dad, you're like, man, that stinks. But my sister-in-law, Anna, has a story similar to that. When she was growing up, they had rabbits at their house. And they had this one rabbit, and they kept feeding that rabbit and petting that rabbit and loving on that sweet, furry little rabbit. And then one night they were eating, and they noticed they couldn't find Fluffy out in the cage anymore. And they were like, this chicken sure is good, Dad. And old Carrie said, that's Fluffy you're eating there, kids. (laughs) Anna's never been the same. Verse 7, they're to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the house where they eat the animal. So not only did they kill it, but then they had to take its blood and they would put it in a bowl, probably like this. They had branches that they used. I'm using a paintbrush. And they would paint that blood on the sides and the doorposts of their house. And I'm doing this as an illustration because... This is going to come into play later on. I want you to see something. But I want it to be visible to you today what this is going to look like. Now, you can imagine, you can imagine in in, in a world like ours today, if this were to happen, you would look weird, right? You would look super weird. And and, and as a matter of fact, this, this is the thing with God, is God just really doesn't care a whole lot about how we look. He cares a whole lot more about our obedience. And so if if your neighbors, if your neighbors, uh, uh, Greg is over here, and, and he and Teresa, they used to be my neighbors. If they would have seen me out front painting my door with the blood of an animal, they would have moved faster than they did, right? I mean, they moved away from me, but they would have moved a lot quicker. God doesn't care about what you look like. God doesn't care about how, how you are perceived by your neighbors. God cares about our obedience and so there was blood that was put on the doorpost. And the Bible is going to go on to say, we'll see it later, but, but the, the blood on the doorpost is significant because the Bible says that there is life in the blood. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, blood plays a big part. Now, we try to think of blood as creepy and weird and gross. Um, my, my wife doesn't like skeletons or skulls. Like there's, there's this aspect of death that she just doesn't care for, and, and blood is also one of those things that, that she just doesn't really like it. So me and my kids like to watch boxing movies, and she won't watch a boxing movie with us, right? It's too bloody. It's too, too bad. But in the Bible, blood was significant, and everybody knew it. Blood wasn't scary. It was understood that there's life in the blood. So blood is precious. Blood is precious. So we need to understand that today. Verse 8. At the same night, that same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Now today, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. Communion is a a, a type, a a newer type of this same meal. But you'll notice the bread we eat today, it's going to be bad. It's a little flat piece of wafer and it's terrible. It's the worst. I like yeast in my bread. I like the big, fluffy bread. Bread without yeast is just a cracker. It's just a saltine, and that's not great because you choke on saltines. And I choke easy anyway. It says, don't eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. 
Don't leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. I, I want to point out another thing. He says eat everything. Eat everything. He says don't just eat the parts you like. Eat all of the meat. Eat the whole lamb. And he says if there are parts you can't eat, if there's bones and there's fur and, and, and there's uh, whatever, you know, eyeballs, whatever you don't eat, if there's a part you don't eat, burn it. Don't save anything. Don't set anything aside. Eat it all. That's going to come in play later on. We're not picking and choosing. We're eating the whole lamb. The whole lamb must be eaten. Verse 11. i got to hurry. Verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. I love this part. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. So the point here is be ready to go. He's saying, listen, I'm trying to get you guys ready to get out of Egypt and get into a promised land. I want to get you out of slavery and get you into freedom. But you can't just be lollygagging around. I want you ready to go. How many of you are the partner that's never ready to go? Who's that person? Yeah, I thought it would be you, Erica. Um, there, there are some people, and some of y'all didn't raise your hand because you're, you're just now raising your hand because you're late doing that. There's always, in marriage, there's always one person sitting in the car and another person that just started getting dressed and you got to be there in five minutes. Right? There's always that. Because you're not ready to go. One of my pet peeves in my family is whenever we go to Walmart or we go to the restaurant or wherever we go, if we pull up to the restaurant, I'm turning off the car, unbuckling my seatbelt, and I'm stepping out of the vehicle. And I turn around... And they're all sitting in there buckled up and on their phones. And, oh, I forgot to put my shoes on. I'm like, why would you take your shoes off in the first place? We just drove five minutes. I don't get it, man. Be ready to go. The Bible says, God says, be ready to go. When you eat, have all your stuff ready. Have all your stuff ready. All right, last couple of verses here. And then we'll get to Easter. I promise. Some of y'all are like, I came here for an Easter message. I don't want to hear about lamb and blood and eating dry bread. I want to hear Easter, and I'll get to Easter. Let's talk about Jesus in a minute. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign... Marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood is a sign. We need to understand that today. This is going to be huge for us because here's the thing. The Bible does not say that the angel is going to show up and check everybody's resume. It doesn't say, Shane, that he's going to show up at your house and he's going to pull out a list and see how many times did you show up at church. He's not going to show up at your house and he's not going to look at how many times you looked at that website that you shouldn't have looked at. He's not coming in and saying, let me see that tithing record you got. You know, did you ever give to the church? Nope. Matter of fact, he's going to pass right over you when he sees the blood. And anybody that's under... The blood gets passed over when judgment comes. He's not looking for Israelite or Egyptian. He's not looking for good people or bad people. 
He's looking for people that are obedient and under the blood. He's looking for people that have enough faith to say, even if it goes against my feelings, I'm a vegan and I would never kill an animal. Okay. But are you willing to obey what God told you? I don't care how good and moral you are. I don't care how bad and evil you are. Are you willing to be under the blood? That's what the Bible says, that he passed over when he sees the blood. And anybody that didn't have the blood didn't get passed over. Now, if we were to keep going in the story, we would find out that Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. And I have to imagine, I have to imagine that the Israelites and the Egyptians, they, they saw each other. They interacted with each other. They lived in the same area. I have to imagine that when the Egyptians saw the Israelites doing this, they had to ask the question, what are you doing? And I'm sure that if an Israelite told the Egyptian, hey, listen, this is what's happening. There's another plague coming. There's a tenth plague coming. And Pharaoh, he is not listening, and he's going to get you guys in trouble. And here's what you need to do. You need to trust in our God, not your gods, because our God is executing judgment against your gods. And if you would just trust our God, here's what our God says. Our God says, you paint your, blood, your, your doorpost with blood of a lamb. And, and let me tell you the, 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 the way you're going to do this, that our God will pass over your house. And I have to imagine that God would have passed over even the Egyptian had he seen the blood. And I love that. I love that because a lot of times we feel like there's got to be some kind of, well, Gabriel, what, what are the exact standards, right? What are the exact standards? And I'm a standard guy. I love standards. But, but what are the exact, what are the five things I must do? And, and God says, paint the blood over the doorpost. You're like, yeah, 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 but what else, right? What else do I need to do? What else is going to keep me? And God says, no, 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 paint the blood. Like, let's get this part down. Trust me on this part. And so they painted the blood over the doorpost. So here's what we're going to do. we got a few minutes. And we, wanna, we just talked about Easter, I mean Exodus. Now let's bring all of that over into Easter. Bring all that over into Easter, into the New Testament, into where we live right now. So the first thing I need every, every one of us to understand is we were all born into slavery. And you may say, Gabriel, I'm not a slave. I'm, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. No, 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 no. You're a slave. The Bible says if we're in sin, we're slaves to sin. If we've sinned at all, we're slaves to sin. Yeah, but, but I've lived a really good life. And I went to church every Sunday doesn't matter. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. If God's standard is perfection, we all missed it. We all missed it. I've missed it today. Like, like I was sitting here during worship, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to worship God, and all I can think about is, you know what? I think I said something to somebody, and I I think I made them upset. Like that, that was my first thought that came to me, right? We all miss, we all miss a standard. We all miss a standard. And, and so, so the Bible says in John 8, 34, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. The thing about being a slave of something means that I am stuck in that and I have no way to free myself. I have no way to get out of that. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. And the Bible says if we sin, we're trapped. If you sin, you're trapped in a life of sin. Yeah, but that's only talking about the big ones, right? That's only talking about addictions. No, no, no. Any sin. Any sin. 
You gossip, it's a sin. You, 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 you look at something you shouldn't be looking at, it's a sin. You think a thought you shouldn't think, it's a sin. Like, you can break it down to every little thing. You still, it's a sin. There's, sin is sin. There's no weight to it. And so we need to understand that. And the next thing we need to understand is that judgment is coming, even for us. So we see the idea that the, the Israelites were slaves. We also saw the idea that judgment, the final judgment was coming. And, and, and I don't want to be one of these guys that gets up and does the doom and gloom and hellfire and brimstone. Um, but I want to be the kind of person that's real, right? I want to be a reality kind of person. And the reality of Scripture is that there is a judgment coming. At some point, God is going to judge the earth. That he's going to judge the good and the bad. The, the Bible says in Acts 17, verse 31... For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Talking about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So we need to know there's a judgment coming. And I don't know, man. I, I, when I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, I knew the end was right around the corner. Right? If you grew up in a church like I grew up in, like you knew Susanna's shaking her head. She knows. I bet, she, I bet you're going to be able to relate to this story. I remember one time I came home, and, um, and I, was, I was a little guy. I was, I was probably uh, first, first grade, so I was at six, five, five years old, I think, in, in Louisiana in first grade, something like that. Anyways, I was little, and I remember coming home from school. I walked home from school, and my parents weren't there. I don't know where my parents were. Um, my brother might have been there, but I knew he wasn't going to heaven, so it didn't matter, right? And so, but my parents weren't there. And so when my parents weren't there, I freaked out. And I ran. There's a little park near my house. And I ran to the park, and there was no kids at the park. And I was like, what are the chances that my parents are gone and there's no kids in the park? And I was like, I've missed the rapture, right? <laughs> Jesus came back, and he didn't take me. And I was so upset. And um, it, it's funny, I was in my small group yesterday, and we were talking about um, we're talking about cussing because Riley cusses a lot, and so we had to deal with that <laughs> issue. We had to deal with that issue on his life. And so um, I told them, I said, look, I'm not a cusser. I, I really, I don't cuss. I, I don't um, say the, the word, well, I don't say the words that you would traditionally think of as cuss words, although a couple weeks ago I, I did. Um, oh, never mind. Um, Bridget's probably in. She'll be mad at me. Um, so anyways, I don't, I don't say cuss words, but that day, and I don't know if I've ever told my parents this story. They're about to hear it for the first time. That day when I thought I had missed the rapture, I was like, well, I may as well sin now. And I just said a cuss word. I did. I did. I think I said it like two or three times, too. I was like, I'm getting it all out. I'm going, I'm going straight to hell. You know, like I'm going to get there fast. And, uh, and, and, then, and then I went home, and I saw my parents. And then I knew I was going to hell because I just said, like, that same cuss word like three times. And so... Let's have a little moment of prayer right now, just for me. <laughs> so I've had, I've had those moments. I've had those moments multiple times, multiple times in my life because I'm a crazy person. Do I have time for one more little story? <sighs> Let's see how many notes i got left. Ooh, i got a lot left. All right, one, one more quick little story. So one time, one time I had uh, Key Club. I don't know if you ever did Key Club when you are in high school, but I got into Key Club. Now, I was a nerdy, um, ugly, little skinny kid, and nobody liked me. My friends, we called ourselves the losers, and there was five of us, and one was me that looked like a skeleton, and then one uh, was, uh, he, he was crippled, and then one had a really huge head, and then one had a pointy ear. And so, in like, the, we were the losers, and nobody really cared for us, 
and nobody liked us, and they always picked on us. That's who we were. And somehow, I got invited to be in the key club, and I think later on to find out it was a joke, right? Like they were going to throw eggs at me or something. So anyways, I go to my key club meeting, ninth grade. I go to my key club meeting. I get out of key club, and my parents are out of town, and um, my dad's secretary was staying with me at the house because I wasn't old enough to drive. And so I get out of key club, and this is before cell phones, and so I, I didn't have any way of calling home to let her know that I was out. But the problem was... Um, I had gotten out a little bit early, and so I'm sitting there, and so I'm saying, okay, well, she'll be here, you know, at 7 o'clock. That's when I said I was going to be out, so she'll be here at 7, and so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. Um, 7 o'clock rolls around, and everybody's gone, and I'm sitting at the high school, and uh, everybody's gone, and, and I look around, and there's a janitor inside, and I was like, okay, well, I'll go inside, and I'll ask the janitor to use the phone. So I go inside, I use the phone, hey, uh, I need to call my, you know, whatever. So I call the house, and it goes it you know, just rings, 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 and then eventually voicemail picks up. I was like, okay, all right, well, maybe she's on her way, and so she doesn't come, and I go back in. Hey, can I call one more time? I call again. She doesn't pick up, and at this point, the janitor's like, hey, buddy, I, I got to go home, and so I'm locking the door and turning off the lights, and that janitor left me sitting on the curb in front of Auburn High School by myself at like 8 o'clock at night now, like it's been an hour, and he's gone home, and I'm just sitting there. And I was like, okay, 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 don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, and I was like, this is it. I've missed it again. Like, this is, <laughs> this is twice. I've missed it. I'm not going to cuss this time. I knew better, right? And so then um, I just, I, I'm freaking out. And so I, I start to walk home. And, and I was like, okay. And I'm making this whole plan in my head of walking home. And I'm like, okay, when I get to the house, I, don't even, I didn't even have a key to my own house. I was in ninth grade and I didn't have a key to my own house. What were y'all thinking? My parents are not the best. And so anyways, I'm walking home. And on my way home, um, I just decide, I, I've got this plan. I'm going to break the window. I'm going to sneak into the house. Maybe there's a credit card or cash somewhere. Um, I know my dad has guns. I can sell the guns, but I might need the guns because I'm sure people are going to come kill me because I'm going to be a Christian and I'm the last one on earth. And so, um, anyways, I was freaking out. And all of a sudden, as I go to this person's house, this random stranger's house to knock on the door and to say, hey, please let me, you know, help me get to my house. I go to knock on the door and I look and I see my parents' car flying by. And it was my dad's secretary. And I jumped out. I was like, hey. And she just screeches to a halt. And she opens the door, and she is just bawling. She's bawling. She's like, please don't tell your dad. He's going to fire me. And I was like, he should fire you. You know, you're like, you're the worst. And so I get in the car. And it turns out, um, for, for those of you that are younger generation, you don't even know what this is. But we had a house phone. And if the house phone, if one of them was off the hook, it doesn't matter how many times you call, the phone won't ring. And there was a phone off the hook, and she was sitting in the living room watching TV, and she was like, it's weird that he hasn't called yet. And she started walking around the house, and she heard, you know what happens when it's off the hook? It starts going beep, 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 beep. She heard it off the hook, and then she freaked out. And she took off running, and, um, and so that was her last day on the job. <laughs> All right, here we go. Back to the Word. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Judgment. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It is inevitable. I'm talking about a very serious subject, and I'm making you laugh. Um, but it's true. It's true. Judgment is coming. Um, and so we've, something's got to happen. If I'm a sinner, if I'm born a sinner, if I've missed the mark, and now I know that judgment is coming, right, then what do I need to do to not be judged? What needs to happen? Well, the Bible says this, that God has provided a way, a new beginning. Remember he said to the Israelites, this is going to be a new year for you. For Christians, he says, this is going to be a new beginning for you. Jesus says this in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are 
born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I think this is so interesting that Jesus uses the word born again 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, because what is the most common thing that we say today? I was just born this way. I can't help it. I can't help what I do. I can't help how I act. I can't help, well, you know, the, 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 the lifestyle that I live because I was just born this way. Pastor, you know how I am. I'm just that person. I was just born like this. And Jesus says, I don't care how you were born. We're all born slaves. But you can be born again. Oh, you were born an addict? You were born in this sexual sin? Oh, you were born with this, this desire? Listen, it's okay to be born however you want to be born. Just understand that in Christ, I must be born again. The Israelites said, we were born slaves. This generation was born slaves. And God says, we're going to start it all over again. We're going to start the clock new, and you're no longer going to be slaves. Now you're going to have to learn how to be free. And listen, there's a difference in living as a slave and living as a free person. And the Israelites had to learn that. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks when we talk about this as we continue moving forward. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When I come to Christ, it's not about what I used to do. It's not about who I used to be. It's about this new life that God has given me moving forward. And I need to live like that. I need to love like that. I need to believe like that. The Bible also says later, I didn't put it in my notes, but the Bible also says that, that we are now citizens of heaven. We have taken on a new citizenship. I've lived in other countries. You live different ways in different countries. Whatever country you live in, that's the way you, whatever country you're a citizen of, that's how you live. So we've got to have a new beginning. How do we get the new beginning? It comes at a price. Something's got to die. Something's got to die. Jesus is the lamb that we talked about earlier. Jesus is the lamb. In the Old Testament, it was a lamb. In the New Testament, it's Christ. And we know this because John 1.29 says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins, all of our sins. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. Why? He was the pure, spotless lamb. Remember, God could have just killed anybody, but he didn't. He had to kill the best. The best had to die. Jesus was the best. He, died. he never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered a physical death but was raised to life in the Spirit. So we've got to have a sacrifice, a substitute, and that's Jesus. And then his blood, his blood has to cover us. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 22, it says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The, the Bible says whenever a, a, a priest was ordained to be a priest... That the Bible says that they would take blood and they would put it on his ear and his thumb and his big toe. To represent the cleansing of everything that he hears and thinks. To represent the cleansing of everything that he puts his hands to, his actions. And to represent the cleansing of the path of life that he walks. So the blood was used to cleanse and clean our sins. 
First John 1 John 1.7 says, but if we are in, living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what is God looking for in judgment? Is he, is he looking for your tithing record? Is he looking for your church attendance? He's looking for the blood. He's looking for the blood. Is the blood covering my heart? Here's the other thing that we're going to tie back to. Is the Bible said that in Exodus that they had to eat all the lamb. Can I tell you today, it, it's all or nothing with Jesus. We can't pick and choose the parts we like. As a matter of fact, Jesus lost a lot of disciples. We, we, we think nowadays, like, like in church pastors, like we're almost willing to say anything to get you to come. Like, if I can just keep you here. And Jesus' idea was not that. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the hardest things in the world, and some of you are going to leave, and that's, it just is what it is. And the Bible says that a lot of people left Jesus because he said, if you want to be a part of me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's talking about you've got to choose to have all of me or none of me. You can't have part of me. And the lamb had to be fully consumed. Folks, today we, we can't pick and choose how we're going to live our Christian life. You either live all for him or not at all for him. The Bible says that nobody puts their, I love this, it says nobody puts their hand to the plow and then looks back. You look back, you're going to mess the plow up, right? I don't know if you've ever used a tiller before. I tried to use a tiller one time. And when I tried to use that tiller, if I didn't pay attention to make it go straight, if I ever looked around, that joker would go all over the yard, right? We had ruts everywhere. In our Christianity, it's either all or nothing. There, 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 is, no, there is no maybe, there is no kind of, there is no bits and pieces. The other thing that, that we're going to tie back to is the idea that we have to be ready to leave. Israel had to leave Egypt. They had to leave slavery. They had to be ready to go. The Bible says it like this. Here, here's what the Bible says. In Acts 2, 38. Now, you can read the whole chapter. It's a great chapter. I love Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches his very first sermon. Now, if you don't know who Peter is, he was a disciple that was always getting himself in trouble with his mouth. And now, all of a sudden, God's using him to preach a sermon. And he gets up and preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people convert from Judaism to Christianity. It's an amazing story. But as a part of his sermon, the Bible says the people listening to his words, they begin to call out to him, what must we do to be saved? Like, what do we need to do? And Peter has told them already, you've got to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's your Savior, and he's your Lord, right? Like, not only does, he, does his blood cover your sins, but he's your Lord that leads you and guides you. He said, and, and that's when they call out, well, what else do we need to do? And Peter says this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the uh, forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says this, it's not a matter of just believing. There's an action, there's one action that takes place, and it's called repentance. Now, in our church, for those of you that are new, we don't use repentance as a bad word here. In, in our church, repentance is a good word, because we are constantly wanting to repent. If we find ourselves off track, we want to repent and get back on track. The word repentance means to change your mind about something. I don't know about you, but my mind has been changed about a variety of things over the years. Right? And so it's good to change your mind about something. Whenever you see the, the way God has, you change your mind. Now, for the Israelites, they had to be ready to leave. 
It's not a matter of I'm just going to stand here for the rest of my life and stay in Egypt. They've got to be ready to go. I've got to leave what? Leave slavery behind and step into this new life of freedom. And for some of us, this is the part that we miss. We're real good at talking about the blood. We're real good at claiming Christianity. We're real good about talking about the cross and the resurrection. And we love to talk about the things of God. But we struggle when the Bible says, leave slavery behind and walk in freedom. And that's a struggle for all of us. I'm not pointing fingers. It's a struggle for humanity. Because we want to live life the way we want to live life. And God says, you need to be ready to leave. You need to be ready to walk out of slavery. I'm going to end today with this, and then we're going to take communion, and we're going to pray. And As a matter of fact, when, it, when we get done with communion today, um, and we pray, I'm going to go ahead and set you up for this. I'm going to have some people come down to the front, and, and it's nothing weird. We're not going to do anything crazy. But the Bible says, bear one another's burdens, hold each other up. And so today, if you're struggling in any area, if you're struggling in, the Bible says that, that if you're struggling with your with healing, like you need healing in your body. The Bible says if you're struggling with sin, or the Bible says even if you're in some kind of just mental turmoil, there's just something going on and you need some help with it, it says get the people in the church to pray for you. And so at the end of the service today, we're going to have people down front. If you need prayer for anything, you come down to the front, let one of them pray with you today. Um, that'll be after we do communion. I want to I end today with, with two scriptures. Uh, the first one, we're going to step back into Exodus chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Now, I'm going to quote these from the, from the English Standard Version, a little bit different than I used earlier. I used New Living. Um, but in the English Standard Version, here's what it says. It says, And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his ne- nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each uh, can eat. So you shall make uh, your count for the lamb. Verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, uh, a year old, and, and take it from the sheep or the goats. Okay, take me back to verse 4 real quick. Take me back to verse 4. I know this is in your way. Um, So in verse 4, I want you to notice two things that stick out to me. The lamb begins as a lamb. A lamb. And in our world today, it's very popular to say that Jesus is a way. He's a way to get to heaven. I mean, you can choose other religions you can choose other paths and jesus is a way to get to heaven and i think most of us would agree with the fact that jesus is a way now i'm gonna i'm gonna hone in on the next part but but we should all be able to agree that jesus is a way and that's where a lot of people sit we sit in this place of jesus is just a way he may not be the way i need but he's a way but watch the progression he goes from being a lamb to The next part says, the lamb. For me, I believe the Bible says that I am, talking about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, the life. There is no other way to get to the Father except through Jesus. So this is where I start to lean. I see the idea, the concept of a way, and there's going to be a lot of people, maybe even in this room, uh, maybe listening online, that you view Jesus as a way. Can I tell you today, I would love for you, I would love for you to transition from a way to the lamb, right? The way, that Jesus is the lamb for you. And then in verse 5, there's another transition that takes place. In verse 5, it says, your 
lamb. He's not just, he's not just the lamb. Yeah, Jesus is the lamb, but I don't know. He's the lamb for the church, and he's the lamb for my family, and he's the lamb for, for America, or he's the lamb for the world. Yeah, I get that, but there's a transition. We go from a lamb to the lamb to your personal lamb. Each and every one of us needs a lamb. Each and every one of us needs a savior. Each and every one of us needs the blood. I don't get saved because my dad is saved. I'm not born again because my wife is born again. I am changed and transformed because I have my own personal lamb. Somebody died for me. The Bible says this in Matthew 7. As a matter of fact, you can go ahead and stand up with me today. Matthew 7 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, listen to this, this is huge, because we think everybody that shows up at church, everybody that says that he's the way, uh, they're going to all get to heaven. Nope. The Bible says this, Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus is saying there's a lot of people that are going to do a lot of really good stuff in the name of Jesus. They're going to go to church and they're going to talk about he is the way and they're going to say these things. But Jesus says it's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be deeper than what you do. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The word knew there, to know, means to know through personal experience. The Bible also uses the same term to, to talk about sexual intimacy. In other words, it's the most intimate kind of knowing somebody. I don't just know about them. I don't just know who they are. It's I know them on a personal, intimate level. What does Jesus want from us today? Does he want you to preach the gospel to everybody? Does he want you to stand on the tabletops and, and yell at everybody that the kingdom is coming? Does he, does he want you to heal every sick person? Does he want you to give all of your money to the poor? No. He, he just wants to know you personally. Remember we said they brought the lamb into the house. What happened when they brought the lamb into the house? They fell in love with the lamb. I've got a dog at the house right now. And when we brought that dog home, covered in fleas and just nasty, matted hair. And we loved that dog, took that dog, put it, you know, got it healthy, got it right. And Perry didn't want anything to do with that dog. We had another dog at the time, and that dog ended up passing away, got hit, and, and, and Perry just did not care for Nola, the dog we have now. You know what's funny? The longer Nola's been in the house, now Perry will get up, and she'll go sit on the couch, and Nola will go lay at her feet and curl up right at her feet, and Perry pets her, and Nola will roll over, and Perry pets her belly, and then they give each other kisses, and they do all the things. And Perry's going to tell you, I don't like that dog. Perry's in love with that dog. That's what happens when you bring the lamb into your home. What does Jesus want? He wants to be in a relationship with you. 
All the other stuff, all the other stuff will take care of itself. He's going to help you get through that. We'll talk about that later. But you've got to start. The starting point is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Under your seat, there should be a little cup. All right, I made you stand up and then told you to get the cup. That was, that was tricky. That's my bad. My bad. If you've got a, a, a young kid or a short person next to you, just get them to get it for you. Hand it up to you. So in that little cup, what it's got is it's got a little, a, a little wrapper on top. And you open that little wrapper on top, you're going to get a piece of a bread out. A little wafer is going to pop out of the top of that. Um, and then you open the next one. Don't, don't do it yet. Open the next one, and you have the juice in the bottom. I said this last month, uh, this, this is just the way we have to do it nowadays. We used to like get actual grape juice and pour it in little cups for everybody, and, and that was really good. It's like Welch's, and everybody loved it. This stuff right here has been sitting on a shelf for like three years, so it, it was juice when it started. It might be wine now. Um, just giving you a heads up. Here's the thing. This little cup, and if you don't have one, if you don't have one, just slip your hand up. Somebody in the back will find you. If you don't have one, just slip your hand up. Um, this cup represents something. When the, when the Israelites, when they were in their home and they killed the, the lamb, remember I told you earlier about the bread. They had bread that they ate. And the Bible says the bread was without yeast. Now you go to the New Testament, yeast represents sin. And so there's a whole other message in, in there about the bread being without yeast and that it represents a sinless life. And, and so, so here's the thing. Jesus said the bread represents my body. The juice represents my blood. And Jesus says, you take this in remembrance of me. Every time you take it. And the Bible says we should take it often. In the Old Testament, they called it the Passover. The Jews will call it the Passover. And it happens right now every year that there's the Passover. The, the whole meal that we talked about with the lamb, that was the first Passover. And God tells them, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. You're going to continue to do the Passover forever because this is important. You remember that I took you out of slavery and brought you into a promised land. Isn't it interesting that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? His blood was shed on the doorpost, on the wooden cross, his blood was shed on the cross for our sins during Passover weekend. It's not a coincidence. God has a plan throughout the whole scripture. He's got one story in 66 books. And so when we take this, here's what we're doing. We're remembering, for some of us, we are remembering what he did for us, that he took us out of slavery to sin. And because of his body being crucified and his blood being shed and his blood covers the doorpost of our heart now that we can be saved, we can be set free, we can be born again, brand new. For others of us, this may be a day just to react to this. Like, like maybe you haven't heard this or maybe you haven't lived this or maybe you, you haven't known this. And today, this moment right here with this cracker and this juice, this is your moment today to say, God... I want to give you my life. I recognize that Jesus died. His blood was shed for me. And I know Easter Sunday is really about the resurrection and he rose from the dead. And I want to get into that later. But here's the thing. He rose from the dead. He, he died on the cross to save us, save us from our sins. He rose from the dead to show us that we can live a new life. But when you take that today, for some of you, this may be your reaction. This may be your moment. We don't do... 
We don't do the whole thing of raise your hand if you want to get saved. Listen, at the end of the day, it's not about what you say in front of me. It's not about raising your hand. It's not about praying a special prayer. He doesn't want you to repeat a prayer after me. He wants to hear your heart. Nothing wrong with repeating prayers, but he needs to hear your heart. The Bible says there's the thing called fruit of repentance. He doesn't want to just hear our mouth talk. He wants to see our life live it out. He wants us to repent. He wants us to change. And so today, if that's you, if you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you've stepped off of that path, and you've been serving yourself, and you've not been serving God, this is your moment to get it right. This is your moment to get it right. So here's what we want to do. I'm going to pray, and we're going to eat the bread. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to drink the cup. But while I'm praying, I want you to pray your own prayer. While I'm praying, I want you to talk to God. Your relationship with God is personal. He's not just a lamb. He's not just the lamb. He wants to be your lamb. So you talk to him for yourself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just come to you right now, and I thank you so much for Easter. Oh, man, I thank you. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you, God, that I'm not stuck in Egypt anymore. I'm not stuck in in slavery to my sin, but you've provided a way for me to be born again. You've provided a way by your blood, by your sacrifice. God, you said in your word that sin is paid for by death, and you took the death that I deserved. But you also rose again to show me that I could live a new life, that I'm a new creation in you. And I thank you today for your body that was broken. I thank you today for your body that was a sacrifice. And today, as we take the bread, God, here's what we're saying to you. We're saying, A, we remember what you did, but B, today as we eat all of the bread, we're not leaving any of it out. We're saying today, God, we choose Jesus, all of Jesus, not some of Jesus. We're choosing every part of him, not just the parts we like. We're choosing his word, not just the parts we like and the parts we we fully comprehend. We're choosing the whole word, and we're going to let that word wash us and cleanse us. And and we're going to let that word direct our lives. Today, we choose all, not just some. If that's you today, I want you to take the bread. I want you to put it in your mouth. I want you to eat it. If you're choosing all of him today, eat that bread. And then, God, today we want to take the blood and we want to put it on the doorpost of our heart. We want to thank you for the blood that covers our sins. We want to thank you for the sacrifice. We want to thank you that there is life in the blood. New life for me. New life for my friends and family. And so today we believe that you are not only our Lord, but you're our Savior. You're our Messiah. You are the sacrifice and the substitute for me. If that's you this morning, and you want to claim him as your sacrifice and substitute, you want to remember what he did, I want you to take that cup, I want you to drink that cup. As you drink that cup, we're going to dismiss in just a minute, but if you you need prayer today, I've got some prayer team people that are going to step out from where they are, they're going to come down to the front, Pastor Jonathan and Anna, they're going to sing us out today. If you need to go, I want to dismiss you, and thank you so much for being with us, but if you need prayer today, I want you to step out of your seat and come down to the front and find one of these good people, and they just want to pray with you and help you through anything that you're going through this morning.